You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, doesn't it feel good in the house of the Lord? Amen. Amen. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. 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 If you have our Bible, I want to direct your attention. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 10. And if you put a finger there, I want to first read you from the gospel of Mark, the third chapter, just one verse, Mark chapter three and verse 27. And I do want to say what a great privilege of mine it has been to be able to be back here at CTK for these past two weeks. And I love this church and I'm thank God for it. I give honor to pastor today. And uh, I know we will be looking forward to his, him and his family coming back, but it's been my honor to be here with you. Amen. Mark chapter 3 and verse 27, Jesus said this, No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. And then if you flip over, if you had it marked there, Isaiah chapter 10, beginning at verse 24, the prophet Isaiah said this, therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite thee with a rod and shall lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt for yet a very little while. And the indignation shall cease, and mine anger and their destruction. And the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge for him according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb, as his rod was upon the sea. So shall he lift it up after the manner of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Amen. I I simply want to preach to you this morning this. God's church is anointed. Does anybody know that God's church is an anointed church? And if you have the Holy Ghost, you have been anointed by God. If you belong to the church of the living God, you're in an anointed church. This church belongs to God. Would you help me pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus? God, I thank you today for the touch of the Holy Ghost that is in this house. And Lord, I pray, let your anointing so saturate us today. I pray, let that anointing come upon us, Lord, that it would destroy every hope and that it would lift every burden, Lord. God, I pray, I don't want to go through the motions, Lord. I don't want to just go through the routine. But Lord, I want the touch of your spirit. Lord, I want the touch of the Holy Ghost. We want your will to be done in this house. We want your name to be glorified. I pray it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Would somebody shout in Jesus' name? Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. I am so thankful and it is the highest honor to be counted a part of the church of the living God. Now, the church is is not a building, but if you'd allow me to say it this way, I'm thankful that I was raised in the church. I'm thankful that I grew up in a home where I just knew that when Sunday came, we were going to be at church. And I knew that on Wednesday, we would be at church. 
I knew that if there was a, a special event, if there was a prayer meeting, if there was a revival service, I just knew if the house, if the doors of the church were open, I knew my family would be at church. Uh, nobody had to tell me that church was important. It was just lived out in our lifestyle. It was patterned by example that there was nothing in our schedule that was more important than being faithful to the house of God. But it was not until I was nine years old that I could still take you to the place I was sitting where I had been sitting in that service in the old church building there in Bellevue, Nebraska at the age of nine, that I received something that I could not receive just because of the church that I attended. I, I still remember vividly that very night where, where I received something that I could not receive from a pastor or a preacher. I, I couldn't receive it just because of where I went to church. Uh, but I, I could take you to the place as a nine-year-old boy uh, where I stood right there in my pew. And as I lifted up my hands and I began to pray, uh, God filled me with the gift uh, of the Holy Ghost. And I was baptized in the name of Jesus. And it was in that moment when I was born of the water and of the spirit. It was in that moment that I became a part of the church of the living God. But I'm also thankful that God does not care if you were raised in the church or not. There's never a bad time. There's never a wrong time to join the church. Jesus gave a parable in which he, he likened the kingdom of heaven unto a man who owned a vineyard. He told this parable in Matthew chapter 20, and, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who owns a vineyard. And he said, the owner of the vineyard goes out in the very early morning hours of the day, and, and he went out into the marketplace to find laborers that would come and work in his vineyard. Jesus said the man, he went out throughout the day. He continued to go out throughout the third hour and the sixth hour of the day. And, and every time he went out, he would go and he would look and find people that were idle, people that were available to work in the vineyard. And I, I do believe it's worth noting that, that the owner of the vineyard was not going out and he was not asking people for their resume. He was not looking at their qualifications. He, he wasn't looking and asking, well, well where have you been and, and who are you associated with? And No, all he wanted to know is, are you available to work in the vineyard? And he said, if you're available, that's all I need. That's all God was looking for. God just wants to know, are you available? And if you'll make yourself available, that's what he could use. And so the, the, the parable went on to say he went out the ninth hour, even the eleventh hour, even the very last hour of the day, he went back out and he said, is there anybody else that's available? Is there anybody else that would come and work in my vineyard? And what was striking about this parable that Jesus told is that at the end of the day, he paid every laborer the same wage. Now, I, I don't know about you, but any place I have ever worked, any, any job, any company I have ever been a part of. If I showed up at 4 p.m. and I left at 5 and the boss publicly paid me the same amount as everybody else that had been there working all day long. I don't know about the places you've been a part of, but that would create some issues. That would cause some problems. That would not sit right. People, people would begin to question and not, not be happy about that. But Jesus established that in his kingdom, there's never a wrong time. There's never a bad time. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. It doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where you've been. All he wants to know is, are you available to come and work in the vineyard? Yeah. 
Because Jesus told another parable and he said the kingdom of heaven is like the man who threw a great supper. He threw a great banquet. And when he threw this banquet, he had already sent out invitations. But when the time came for the invitations to be received and for everyone to come to the banquet, one by one, they began to make excuses. And they said, well, I can't come because I've got this going on. And, and well, now I'm not busy. And, and now I've got something more important going on. And Jesus said, this man became very angry and he sent his servants out and he said, you go out into the streets and in the lanes of the city and you bring in the halt and the maimed and the blind and you bring them to my banquet. And when they went out and they had done it, they said, Lord, where there's still room in your house. And he said, you go out again. You go into the highways and into the hedges and you compel them to come that my house be filled. You see, the kingdom of God does not operate the way that an earthly kingdom operates. The church does not function the way that the world functions. And that is because the church is not of man, but the church is of God. The origin of the church, it was not just a group of people that had gathered together. That's not what made them the church. But when the church was birthed, something took place that had never happened before in the history of the world. That the Bible says on that day of Pentecost, when those 120 were gathered together in that upper room, they didn't know what to look for. They didn't know what was going to happen. They just knew we're just waiting here on God. And the Bible says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and cloven tongues like as a fire fell upon each of them and they began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Can I tell you today that the church began with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and the life of the church comes from the Spirit of God. The drive of the church comes from the Spirit of God. The direction for the church comes from the Spirit of God. The church goes beyond a building. It goes beyond a denomination. It goes beyond an organization because the church is not defined by man, but the church is defined by God. It is by one spirit that we have been baptized into one body. For there is one God and Father of all who is above all. He's through all and he's in you all. We are many members, but we are one body. We are many congregations, but we are one church. And it is the church, the Bible says, that is the bride of Christ. Revelation 19 and 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife, the bride of Christ, hath made herself ready. And to her, the bride was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. The scripture tells me that when God comes back for his bride, he's not coming back for many different brides. He's not coming back for many different wives. He's not coming back for many different churches or many different individuals. But when he comes back, he is coming back for one church. He is coming back for one bride. And the bride of Christ, he's not coming back for a bride that resembles worldliness. He's not coming back for a bride that resembles ungodliness. But his bride is one who has 
made herself ready. His bride is one who has been clothed in fine linen, clean and white. His bride has been clothed in the righteousness of saints that when the anointing of the Holy Ghost is upon you and God begins to sanctify you and God begins to make you holy, that's him saying, get ready. Make yourself ready. I'm getting ready to come back for my bride and I want my bride to be clothed in righteousness. God's church is an anointed church. God's church is a triumphant church. God's church does not bow to the whims of culture. It is not pulled by the tides of the world. But God's church has been fitly framed together, being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, uh, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And we have this promise, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Can I tell you, God's church is not going anywhere. God will have a church in the earth. Psalm 115 and verse number one, the psalmist said, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, not unto my name. It's not about my church. It's not about my glory. It's not about my kingdom. Not unto us, O Lord, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy true sake. That's why we're here. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about what I want. Lord, it's about your glory. It's for thy mercy. It's for thy true sake. Verse two, wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? The heathen that would scoff and that would mock and they would say, where is your God? Where is this God that you say that you serve? He said in verse number three, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Where is my God? My God reigns on a throne in the heavens with all dominion and all authority. We serve a sovereign God who is in charge of everything. And he does whatsoever he hath pleased. That's why, that's why the, the Bible says, Genesis chapter 50, you know, we sing about uh, that God can take what the enemy meant for evil, but he works it out for good. Uh, that when the enemy tries to get in the way and thwart the will of God, there is no one that is powerful enough to thwart the will of God. You don't have the ability uh, to override the will of God, but his word and his will shall come to pass. And so he can take what the enemy meant for evil and he can work it out for good. And you may have witnessed this in your own life when you misstepped and you went the wrong way and you know you should have gone this that way, but instead you went this way. And yet somehow God worked it out for good because when you walk with God, because when his hand is on your life, he can work and he can intervene on your behalf because he does whatsoever he hath pleased. We serve a sovereign God. And so in the book of Isaiah chapter 10, it gives us this glimpse into the sovereignty of God. It gives us a window to to see a little bit of the sovereignty of God that we find where people of God had been conquered and they were held captive by the Assyrians. The king of Assyria, King Sennacherib, Isaiah prophesies that when this takes place, that King Sennacherib will, will fail to understand and realize who it is that he is in relationship to God. And and we read of of what Sennacherib will say, that in chapter 10 and verse 13, Sennacherib says, By the strength of my hand, I have done it. And by my wisdom, for I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people. 
and have robbed their treasures. And I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. And my hand hath found as a nest the riches of the people. And as one gathereth eggs that are left, have I gathered all the earth. And there is none that move the wing or open the mouth or peep. Sennacherib, this evil king that God had used for judgment upon the people of Israel, he looked to himself and, and he began to say, look at what I have done and look at all that I have accomplished. Look at how I have cap held captive and, and how I have gathered all of these things into myself. Look at what all I have been able to do and to accomplish here in the earth. But in verse number 15, we, we see God's thoughts on this attitude and that's why I, I brought a few props here with me this morning. God said in verse 15, Shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Now, I, I raided Pastor's garage this morning, and uh, I couldn't find a handsaw. I don't know if he has one or not, but I took his saws off. It's the same idea. He said, Or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it? as if the rod should shake itself against them that lift it up, or as if the staff should lift up itself as if it were not wood. That God said, uh, you know, it, it's not until the, the lumberjack takes hold of the axe and he begins to, to put that thing in motion, that until that happens, the axe, it, it lays there lifeless. It's just a, a piece of, of wood and metal fastened together. The axe is just a tool that was created by man to be used for a specific purpose. It was designed with a specific intention. And it would be childish imagination to consider that an axe would be able to boast in itself. It, it's childish. It would be foolish to believe that, to think of an axe somehow exalting itself against the one that wields the axe. And, and he said... He said the saw, it, that it's not, until, it's not until the carpenter takes hold of the saw and plugs it into the electric outlet <laughs> and begins to put that thing in motion that the saw can never, it can never do what it was created to do on its own. It has no ability on its own. And it's not until God takes hold of the church and begins to put us in motion that we can ever do what we were created to do. That before God got a hold of your life, you were lifeless, you were dead in sin, but then he picked you up and he breathed on you the breath of life. And you cannot do what you were created to do without the hand of God upon your life. Uh, to think that I could do it on my own would be like an axe that would boast itself uh, against the one that wields the axe. Uh, oh, we were just created by God. And until you allow the creator who made you to take hold of your life uh, and begin to put you in motion, we will never accomplish anything on our own. For Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Jesus didn't just come to make your life better, but he said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And so I pray, Lord, breathe on me. Lord, I need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Lord, everything I do, God, I was made with a purpose and I want to walk in it. So Lord, let your anointing saturate my life. But Sennacherib, 
He failed to realize and to understand that all he was was he was a pawn on the board. He was just somebody who happened to be at the right place at the right time and God said, yeah, I can use him. I don't need him. The church is bigger than any one individual. The church is bigger than any one congregation. It's bigger than any one personality. God can bypass anybody because his will shall be done. His words shall come to pass. And Sennacherib didn't realize who he was in the scheme of God and all of the earth. And so he said, look at what I have been able to do. He did not understand as Colossians 1 and verse 16 says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. No matter what happens, God is in control. He has not relinquished his authority. He has not relinquished his dominion. And so the church does not have to be worried. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be filled with fear and confusion about what happens in the world because we know his word is true. We serve a God who is in control. Where is that God? He is in the heavens and whatsoever he desireth, that shall be done. We serve a sovereign God. If you believe that, would you clap your hands and thank the Lord right now? I'm sure to the people of God in that particular time and in that moment, no, it may not have seemed that way because God's people, they were under a yoke of bondage and oppression by the Assyrians. There was a yoke that had been placed upon them and, and it was a yoke that was because of the decisions that they had made. It was by their own decision, it was by their own choices that now there was this yoke of oppression that was upon them. And maybe they would have thought, well, this is our own fault, so this is just the way that it's going to be. Maybe they would have believed there is no hope in God anymore. Now I've got a yoke upon my life by my own way and by my own fault. And I don't know who may have come into this house today with the yoke upon your life. I don't know who may have walked into the house today with the yoke of bondage upon your life because of the yoke of sin. Maybe you came to the house today with the yoke of pain and of hurt. And maybe you came to the house today with the yoke and burden upon your life of, of yesterday's regrets and your past failures and your past mistakes. And, and so now it's been weighing you down. You've been walking with the yoke upon your life and, and it's been burdening you and it's been pushing you down. And because of the yoke upon my life, I don't have peace anymore. And because of the yoke upon my life, it's robbed me of my joy. And because of the yoke that's been upon me for so long, I don't have a passion for the things of God anymore. And because of the yoke that's been upon me, I, I can't pray like I used to pray. It's been burdening me down. I, I try to go to God in prayer, but I've got this yoke upon me. I, I can't touch him the way that I used to. I can't feel him the way that I used to. It's just been this way for so long. I've just been walking with this yoke in each and every day. It's controlling my direction and this yoke upon your life. It's trying to control your destiny. It's trying to control where you go and what you do. It's been burdening you and it's been weighing you down. It's a yoke upon you. 
God told him in verse 24, Therefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite thee with the rod and shall lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt. God told him, he said, yes, I know that there has been a yoke upon you. I know that you have been oppressed and I know what you have been bearing. But God said, do not be afraid. Do not believe the lie of Satan that there is no hope for you. Do not believe that this is permanent upon your life. Do not believe that you are without redemption, that there is no hope for you in God. But he went on to say in verse 26, And the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge for him, according to the slaughter of many and at the rock of Oreb. And as his rod was upon the sea, so shall he lift it up after the manner of Egypt. God said, you just hold on. I'm on my way with redemption. I'm coming to save you. And he said, this is what it's like. It's like that moment in Judges chapter 7 when Gideon began to split, smite and to kill the enemy. God said, I'm getting ready to come in and I'm going to destroy the very enemy that has been oppressing you. He said, it's like when you came out of Egypt and Moses lifted up his rod upon that sea. And as the people of God were running away from the Egyptians and they came to the Red Sea and it looked as if there was no hope and the Egyptians were coming in behind them and Moses stretched forth his rod and God parted those waters and they walked through on dry land. And when those Egyptians came in after them, the Bible says uh, that those waters came crashing down and there was not so much as one Egyptian that made it out of the water. And the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he said, I would not have you ignorant, but I would have you know that all of your fathers, somebody say all, all of your fathers that made it out of Egypt were baptized unto Moses by cloud and by sea. Every one of them that made it out alive were baptized by the water and they were baptized by the spirit. And so that's why you must be born of the water. Because when you go down in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus, it's just like when Israel came out on the other side of those waters and every Egyptian that was coming in after them, God calls those waters to collapse so that not so much as one of them made it out alive. And when you go down in waters of baptism and you come out of those waters in Jesus' name, there is not so much as one sin of your past, of your life that comes out of those waters, but everything is cleansed, everything is washed because baptism is for the remission of sins. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. And he said in verse 27, it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. He said, yes, you've been carrying that yoke for so long. It's been weighing you down. It's been oppressing you. You don't know what the answer is and you don't know what to do and you've been stumbling and it's been burdening you. But he said, there is a hope. There is a hope. There is a day when I will save you. I will rescue you. I will take that yoke from off you and I will destroy it because of the anointing. Can I tell you today that there is a yoke upon this generation? Suicide is the second leading cause of death among those aged 10 to 34. 
And Generation Z is by the largest number of any generation before rejecting even a basic belief in God. It's a generation that feels that there is no hope. They feel hopeless. They believe the lie. There is no hope in God, but they're searching and they're looking for something and they don't know what to do. It is a yoke of spiritual wickedness that would rob this generation of their God-given purpose. And so can I tell you today that when the young man walks into the house of God and he's got anger and rebellion in his heart, He does not need a gifted speaker or an orator, but he needs an encounter with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. When the young child walks into the church house and they come from a broken home, and they've got all kinds of things of the world going on in their life and in their family. They don't need a talented musician. They don't need a talented singer, but they need an anointed musician. They need an anointed singer. When the backslider walks into this sanctuary and they've got pain and they've got hurt in their life, I tell you, they need to walk into an atmosphere in which the men and women of God have gathered together. And because you have the Holy Ghost and because of your prayer life and your obedience to the word of God, when we gather together as the body, there is an anointing that destroys every yoke and that lifts every burden in the name of Jesus. I know it's been preached six ways from Sunday better than I could ever preach it. But may I just be a reminder today that it is an absolute necessity. We must have the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Oh, would you just come upon him right now? God, more than anything else, we need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Lord, we can't do this in ourselves. We can't do this on our own, Lord. But we've got to have the Holy Ghost anoint us. Oh, would you stand with me right now? (laughs) It's the only thing we have that we can offer. It is the only hope for our world. There is nothing else that sets the captive free. There is nothing else that breaks the chains and the strongholds that bind the souls of men and women in our world. It's the only thing worth offering, and it's what we have. It is the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And I'm telling you today, if you stepped into this house and there's a yoke upon your life, if there's burdens that you have been bearing, I come to tell you that the Holy Ghost is in this place and God can destroy every yoke and lift up every burden off of your life. I've watched firsthand. I've watched as God has filled every kind of person with the Holy Ghost. I've watched him fill the Muslim and the Jew, the agnostic and the atheist. I've watched him fill the rich and the poor, educated and uneducated. It does not matter whosoever will let him come. That God is just looking and he's saying, I formed you. I made you. I have purpose for your life. Would you let me anoint you for my glory? Not for us, oh Lord, not for us, but for glory to be under your name, for thy mercy and for thy truth. 
earlier this year on a Sunday morning, right in the back of the church, in the middle section, the very back row, there was a woman I didn't even know until after the service was over. She was a Muslim woman, and she didn't even make her way down to the altar, but right where she had been sitting, she stood, and she lifted up her hands, and as she began to call upon the Lord, God baptized her with the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and there were yokes that began to be destroyed from off of her life. A few weeks prior to that, there was a woman. I didn't know this until after the service either, but she had been away from God for 27 years. I was 27 years old at the time. And so the year I was born, she decided to go back to the yoke that she had already been delivered from. And for 27 years, she had been carrying that yoke and those burdens once again. And it was her second Sunday to come back to an apostolic service. And on that second Sunday back, with all of those yokes and with all of the burns upon her life, she made her way down to an altar. And when she stepped down to that altar and she lifted up her hands and she began to pray, and I watched as God baptized her again with the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and he began to take those burdens and break those yokes up off of her life. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, could you just talk to the Lord right now? Somebody call upon him right now. Lord, we need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Lord, more than anything else, we've got to have your spirit. God, we cannot do this of our own. Lord, we are here for a purpose. We are here with your plan in mind. And God, we want to be your church. And so we've got to be anointed by you. Oh, I want to invite you right now, church. Would you make your way down to an altar right now? Would you find a place to pray right now? Come on, would you let God touch you one more time with the fresh touch of the anointing of the Holy Ghost? Oh, Lord, this is your church. Lord, we belong to you. Lord, we need you to breathe on us the breath of life. Lord, we need the Holy Ghost to saturate us. Lord, we can't do what we were created to do on our own. But Lord, we can do it when you touch us, when you anoint us. And so I pray, Lord, let me be like the axe that you could take me in your hands. if you feel qualified. It doesn't matter what your resume is. God just wants to know, are you available? Will you let him use you? <laughs>